Hello, and welcome to Dice Try, the RPG and storytelling podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Schaub. It's too, it's too early in the morning for this. Okay, it's now too early. Early in the morning? It is four o'clock in the afternoon, young sir. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the new episode of Dice Try. My name is Daniel Schaub. I am your host and GM. I am here with all my players, Crystal Llewellyn. Hi. Earl Kim. Hi. And Paul Dixon. <laughs> I was trying to go for the 80s montage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the start of a sitcom, yeah. Everywhere you can we just have Paul's name flash under him, right? Right as right as And then of course we have our audio engineer, GTM, which stands for Great Timing Montage. Oh, I could do that. I'm good at montages. <laughs> we got to do a jump freeze. Everyone do a jump freeze. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be really great for the people who just listen to the audio. <laughs> the only time we ever get a comment on the podcast are people being like, um, excuse me. Uh Including a visual gag in a podcast is a poor idea. <laughs> Everyone's just like, what are you doing? We're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Audio listeners can just imagine what we were doing in that moment, yeah, I in feel that like- 15 seconds. Paul Dixon, what is the great uh, greatest sitcom opening a la, like, montage Ooh. of, like, turning to the camera and giving a thumbs up of all time? Well, if you're not what? counting the uh, too many cooks, uh, uh, yeah. no, that doesn't count. No. <laughs> That's a thing of nightmares. Full House is the one that pops out to me the most. Uh, but I was watching uh, Family Matters. That one might be really good. I don't know. They're both really great. Um, what does the Full House one go like again? Copyright strike. Uh, what is the Family Matters one? What have happened to the the, yes. the, 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 the newsman, the paper boy, the <laughs> yes, <laughs> and the days go by. Bye. Yes. What's the greatest sitcom song of all time? Theme song. Okay, sitcom specifically. Yeah, all of TV history. Sure. How are we? How are you rated? Is it? Is it just my opinion? Are we talking about like the greatest of all time? Is in like worldwide release or scope? You know, because then. He's asking your opinion. <laughs> I am just asking for your opinion. I didn't. I, I, I know. It's, just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a Listen lot. to me, American people. I'm here to talk about the greatest sitcom song of all time. For me, I think I think it's going to have to be the Family Matters one. Now that we've now that we've gotten into it. I don't know if you noticed while I was just singing it, like it just sort of, you're like, yeah, you get real excited about it. And I want to know what, what is the Winslow family up to? And what is that Urkel? What is that Urkel doing? I think the same guy that made the Full House theme song made the Family Matters theme song. Krista, if you could live in any sitcom world, which one would you want to live in? The first thing that comes to mind, because this is how a 10-year-old Krista would answer it, um, would be Boy Meets World. I, like, wanted to, like, have my remote and, like, zap myself into the TV and then, like... Be Ryder Strong's girlfriend. Be Ryder Strong's girlfriend. And (laughs) that's all I wanted (laughs) as a young 10-year-old. So, yeah, I mean, it's probably a boring one to be a part of, in all honesty, but... I will uh, first read a recap of what happened last episode, and then I will (laughs) do our little flavor text here of filling in the backstory of the world. In the previous episode, our adventuring group made their way to the plantation community of New Nazareth and arrived at the local hotel. During the night, 
Charles found himself entrenched in a dream of a young girl in an orphanage being haunted by the visage of a ghostly nun. The next morning, the adventurers questioned a local worker about the state of the town at the cafeteria before collecting some supplies at the dry goods store. While there, they learned that Hughes, the man they're looking for, had been into the shop to buy maps and a roll of butcher block paper. Maeve sensed that there was a distressed presence somewhere in the shop, more specifically beneath it. They also investigated the local cemetery in the ever-present vines and moss grown into a spiral pattern around the cemetery. Charles attempted to entice some crows to come close, but they seemed adverse to approaching the cemetery. Leaving there, the party made their way to the manor of the Martells and encountered Washington Martell, the head of local security. During the French-Indian War, an unscrupulous Canadian wilderness guide made a small fortune by trading information and supplies with both French and British forces. As the war came to a close, the wilderness guide was thrust out of Canada and into the Northeast American wilderness, where they took on a new name, Judah Martel. Barely 13 years later, Judah Martel again found himself selling information and supplies to two different sides of a war during the American Revolution. Each time Judah faced potential consequences for supporting both sides, he moved further south and west, taking a morally ambiguous fortune with him. His original plan had been to disappear into the Caribbean, where he would open a sugar plantation. But the plan almost immediately folded when it became clear that both French and British forces in the Caribbean would never allow him to settle there. Judah had made quite a name for himself in both a good and a bad way, and was considered a traitor to two different empires. Although his actions were looked down on in America, he could more easily disappear amongst the wilderness to the west of the 13 colonies. In 1786, at the age of 40, Judah Martel settled in the marshlands of western Kentucky with the intention of trying to start a sugar plantation, but the crop quickly soured and fell apart. Martel transitioned into a new crop and the tobacco fields quickly grew, supported by Martel's hefty purse. In the middle of nowhere, a new community and plantation was established by the name of New Nazareth. Martel had not been a God-fearing man much of his life. Rumors abound that he had killed more than his fair share of men, but his wife, Anne, was a New York-born Calvinist. She chose the name for the community and plantation. Anne Martel set a precedent early on that Judah's previous life would be left far in the past and they would establish a new standard for the Martel family to live by. Their children were to be well-educated, well-dressed, stately, and the proper equivalent of an aristocrat amidst their southern surroundings. In 1801, Judah Martel fell off his horse and was trampled, left paralyzed from the waist down for 13 days before dying. On his deathbed, Martel declared that in New Nazareth, even a rapscallion like himself could find a home. So we return to our story with you guys are all standing on the driveway in front of the Martell Manor House. Washington Martell and his friends, lackeys, for lack of a better word, maybe, are standing just a few feet behind him. On the opposite side, we have the sheriff, Sheriff Colmer, with then Maeve and Charles kind of standing a few feet behind him. So we have two groups of people. And then you hear uh, a sound upstairs and on one of the porches, a older gentleman with white hair kind of creeps back. He's got a goatee, but it's like a mixture of gray and black. This is the head of the plantation, the father of Washington Martell, Brett Martell. He's dressed in a very fine suit and you can see the like golden watch fob running across his vest and belly. He's got Quite a few rings and jewelry upon his fingers. He looks down towards the driveway and he says, Now, Washington Martel, this is no way to greet our guests. Why don't you go find your fun somewhere else? And Washington just kind of taps his pipe that he's been stuffing tobacco in. He tamps down the tobacco, tucks the pipe into the corner of his mouth, and he and his group of friends kind of walk away. 
Brett Martell looks down at you and he says, Sheriff, why don't you and your associates come on inside? I would love to talk with you a spell. He seems to be a man of reason. He's willing to speak. Just keep your word out, you. And make sure you keep your uh, weapons, if you have any, nearby. I doubt it'll go to that. We just have questions. So you step through the front doors into the manor house, into this very finely adorned mansion, very bright uh, white paint that's reflecting the sunlight around all the corners. So nothing's dimly illuminated like shadows in the corner or anything like that. You do hear music drifting from somewhere far off in the back of the house. It sounds like a piano. It's kind of tinkling quietly in the background. And Brett Martell comes around this big spiral staircase and approaches all of you. As he comes down, uh, he seemed very large when he was standing up on that porch looking down on all of you. You are not quite prepared for how large he appears in person. He's a very tall, just big man, just kind of fills the room with his presence and his physicality. You know, 6'4", somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 pounds, maybe more. It's not fat. It's not muscle. It's just he's big. And he uh, holds out his hand for you, Sheriff, and he's like, well, Sheriff, it's a pleasure to see you once again. Pleasure's all mine, I suppose. These are my friends from out of town. Oh, sure. Uh, please follow me this way. And he starts leading you towards the back of the house. And as you go down the back of the house, you can peer down some of the hallways and into rooms. You can see that there's like a very nice study with a bunch of books off to one side. On the other side, you can see that there's like a drawing room or a parlor kind of area. The music that you're hearing is from somewhere off down a hallway. There's probably a music room somewhere down there. The sheriff does know that one of his daughters is very much into music. She's quite talented on the piano know from what he hears although this is probably the closest you've ever come to actually hearing her play he actually leads you all the way through the house and he's kind of taking his time and you sort of get the impression that he's letting you take in all these fancy accoutrement that he has it's a power move <laughs> yeah it's definitely a power move he's letting you take in all the golden lattice and uh fine artwork and whatnot he has in the house before leading you out onto the back patio where you see there are several workers they have a whole pig up on a big table and they're cutting open the pig and removing the organs while one of the other workers is loading orange coals into a big brick stove as if they are about to cook a whole hog um as we were being uh, seeing as he wanted us to have the time to sort of take in the surroundings um do i get a feeling of anything sort of either spiritual or like magical? are our magical spidey senses tingling at all yeah so let's do in tuned or yeah. no let's do empathetic and divination so six Okay. Uh, six, six, four, one. Uh, six, five. So we got uh, three sixes, which I think is a, a wonderful sign. Uh, yeah, six, you got at least ten. Six. So yes, as you are walking down the hallway, you do get an impression of a spirit here. And actually, I will say that it is high enough that you know that this house is haunted, but I will not say by whom. There is definitely a ghost somewhere in this house. Brett Martell leads you over to another table and he says, uh, you young there fellow, why don't you fetch my lovely guests here some drinks? Would you all care for some lemonade? I'm okay, thank you. Certainly. It's a water for me. And you see a younger kid, probably about 15, his ethnicity you're not quite sure of. He's not white, but you're also not sure what ethnicity he might be. He okay. disappears into the house. So what is it that I can help you with? I heard you speaking to my son that there was a woman killed recently, Sheriff? Yes, well, it's quite a mystery that we're trying to figure out. And uh, just so happens that we might need to talk to you about a few details. Well, I will certainly help where I can, but I, I'm not the keeper of all individuals around here. Do you have perhaps know the person's name or could you describe what they looked like to me? I give them the description. 
just roll on here to see if he knows who you are talking about. I actually do know the young lady that you are referring to. She lived out on one of the sharecropper farms out beyond the reaches of my plantation, although we have worked with them in the past. Interesting. I was just going to ask, do you have any idea where she went? As far as I know, that uh, she did not leave the farm much. We were also wondering uh, about certain reports that we'd been receiving of animals found mutilated around your farmsteads. Unfortunately, that is something I would not know much about, but you can ask one of the fellows who works in our woodcutting department, you might say. Uh, essentially, there's a group of woodcutters that work for the plantation. They're the ones who go out and chop down all the trees to feed the kilns that dry out tobacco leaves. Those gentlemen spend far much more time out in the brush than I do myself, and they would be able to answer your questions. Their leader is a fellow by the name of Cotter McGrath. And at this time, the uh, kid that he called to to bring drinks brings out uh, some lemonade, and he brings... Uh, water for the sheriff. He brings a coffee over to Brett Martell. Also, we are currently searching for an associate of ours, a uh, cartographer. Had he made any uh, contact with you on his uh, journey through this area? So you say the name Bartholomew Hughes. I want to use all of my perception abilities to read this fucker. To read Brett? Martin. Uh, yes, uh, uh, and sort of the reaction to saying Bartholomew Hughes slash all of this. Sure, like, can you roll insight for me, which is four. Eight, nine, one, eleven. I rolled for him as well. So uh, he gets a look on his face and it's a little hard to read exactly. He recognizes the name. Do you see that the expression on his face actually looks a little like kind of hurt almost? Hmm. And then he proceeds to say, yes, your man, Bartholomew Hughes, did come to see me. But uh, apparently my conversation was not enough for him because he only came to see me the once, and we only spoke for a few minutes at most. And uh, what did you converse about, if you don't mind us asking? Well, he was asking me some of those very same questions that you were asking about wildlife and if anyone had been killed in mysterious circumstances and I had to give him some of the same answers that I gave yourself that uh, Cotter McGrath might be the one that he wants to talk to. Does this alarm you in any way? Must have been over a month ago. Yes? Yes, I believe it was about five to six weeks ago that he came to see me. I can't say that I'm alarmed though. <laughs> this is a dangerous place. I see. Have you dealt with uh, predators in this fashion before. Many years ago, we did have mountain lions coming down out of the hills, especially during the Civil War when famine and disease were spreading much more rapidly, wild animals feeding upon the weak. Are you a hunter, sir? I have done my fair share of hunting. Uh, can I uh, roll to see if he's lying or if he has any information we need? Um, yes, and since this is kind of your specialty, you're going to roll your experience plus your investigation. It's a five for investigation, so experience plus investigation is 10. So 10d12, aiming to get 10. Seven, 10, eight, four, nine, four, 11, two. And one. Let me just roll for him real quick. I rolled six dice and I didn't get a single success. <laughs> yeah. So you're just sitting there listening to him as he speaks, just trying to gauge whether or not he's lying to you. He's not lying in any sort of capacity. You get the sense that he's actually kind of annoyed. Bartholomew Hughes, this like weird enigmatic figure who was like hanging around on his plantation, didn't talk to him more. Like he's actually kind of frustrated because Brett Martell is like the big man on campus and he's annoyed that Hughes like barely gave him the time of day. 
Mr. Martell, I was I was so curious. Your town seems to be very meticulously groomed, um, with the exception of, of course, of the the cemetery. And I was wondering if you could maybe point me into the direction of your groundskeepers, so to speak. I think, especially since the girl was found on the road, that maybe they might have some insight as to the goings on after dark. Yes, there are a group of groundskeepers that we keep here, but they only work inside of the community. So if you found this body, as you say, outside of town, they would not have discovered it. But they do have a little shack, as it were, over between the gunsmith and a local workshop, which would be on the north side of town near the tobacco warehouse. Thank you, sir. And he takes a long sip from his coffee. And then uh, was there anything that else that I could help you with? How do you feel about spirits? Such as in ghosts, as it were. If that's the word for it for you, yes. I've never seen one myself. I'll give it uh, Paul, with, since he had such a high kind of investigation earlier, and I rolled so poorly. You see the slightest trace of something cross his face. Then Brett says, I am sure. The I am sure is not a lie, but definitely there's something else to that. To let you know if you have something you need to share with us, don't hold back. Oh, don't you worry, Sheriff. If there's anything unusual, then I will let you know. Before we get off the grounds, can I take some dirt and or like water that's just hanging around in a puddle somewhere on the grounds? I'm asking specifically about that water because apparently in, in Hoodoo itself, ditch water is mm-hmm. is like a it's like a thing that they use uh, probably because it has been raining for the past week or so under one of the downspouts or whatever you can probably find some water that you could collect in a vial okay i'm gonna do that you do notice okay. that several of the house servants kind of give you a strange look as you dip a vial into a puddle at the corner of the house i just wave at them and then like put it onto my skirt with all of my other accoutrement from where you're sitting on the patio if you look out there is a pond like several hundred feet away or so how big is the pond the pond isn't huge it's probably 50 feet across and 100 feet long okay is it living like are there fish in it or no you do not immediately see fish when you look into it i guess i'll I'll meet up back with everyone else like as we're on our way back i debrief them about my feelings what i what i sensed in the house just there being a a presence there (laughs) and then also in the in the shop I felt a, a big presence um, below. I'd like to reveal to them what I saw when we were talking. Tell them about that flash of, uh, I don't know what that was. He just, he wasn't telling the entire truth, but he wasn't lying. Yeah, I knew it. That's why I mean, that's why I asked. It's a strong presence. It has an odor. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, this whole town is... Strange. It's hiding something. <laughs> Every, almost every building I've been in has had some sort of weird feeling, including the one we're staying in. For the crows and magpies to outright avoid the cemetery, there's something keeping them away. Okay, so what's the plan, guys? What are you going to get up to now? Um, I would like to go back to where we're staying. Where Where is that again on this map? It's the inn across from the barber shop. Okay. Yeah, I want to go back to the inn and start testing stuff that I've collected. So you make your way back to the inn, and it takes you a little while to get back to town because the manor house is about a mile outside of town. When you do arrive back and you're walking towards the hotel, you can see across the street the barber shop and Washington Martell and his lackeys, for lack of a better word, are sitting outside of the barber shop with the barber. Washington Martell looks exactly the same as before. He definitely wasn't getting a haircut. It looks like he's just hanging out there speaking with his friends and with the barber. I'd like to go actually to the gunsmith. Can we like turn off before we hit the inn like and 
veer up before they see us. You gotta take the long way around to avoid actually walking in front of them. Yeah, but I also really want to go to the gunsmith, so... Okay. We're gonna get to the inn, we're just taking the long way, because it's... Let's just avoid that, that dude. So you enter the gunsmith. The smell of gun oil fills a quiet space filled with metal gun parts and ammunition. Racks of guns for sale fill one entire wall, and many of the guns are not instantly recognizable, being gathered from all over the world via catalog. You see several exotic weapons and also antique weapons kind of in cases spread out in front of you, and a short... A uh, man approaches you. Well, good afternoon. Ha- happy to see y'all. My name's Trevor Allen. If you have any questions, why don't you just go ahead and talk to me? Well, uh, Sheriff, do you need any supplies? Do you have anything uh, different from normal weapons? <laughs> different from normal weapons? Well, you came to the perfect place, didn't you, Sheriff? Now, right over here, and he reaches down into one of the gun cases, and he pulls out a shotgun that has three barrels on it, like a triple-barreled shotgun with the three triggers stacked up on top of each other. And he's like, so when I was over in India, I was using this to hunt down a tiger and shot the fellow right between the eyes. And that's why I'm going to take my leaf and I'm just going to step outside the door and I'll wait for you guys. I'm going to I'm gonna get a head on the keepers. <laughs> All right. Do you have any traps for large animals? Traps for large animals. Well, <laughs> well, I'll tell you about all about the time I went tracking down in Zaire. I was after a lion, and he pulls up a piece of paper and he starts drawing out like a design for a trap. He calls a lion trap, and talking about it. And I'm not even gonna make you guys roll. This guy is so full of shit. <laughs> he's probably not done any of this garbage yeah. that he's talking about because he just is constantly talking about like I got that about the three barrels I'm like where the f- come on are there any uh, real weapons in this shop so let's have the sheriff who actually knows about firearms roll for this so experience plus firearms to for eight so eight d12 okay Five, two, twelve, five, four, eight, six, and five. So you have passed the DC that I set. You guys are kind of looking for something to hunt, like a large cat or something of that nature. I assume is what kind of. I, I'm also just one. Like I, I also just wanted to see what this town has for weapons. <laughs> like it, I, my assumption would be that most of the people in this town would have been armed by this person Uh, assessing the the defense (laughs) center if that makes sense yes so i'll say a couple of things one uh yeah pretty much everybody around here is armed they've either got a revolver or like a winchester rifle but following up on that when you're hunting large animals like a mountain lion or something like that most apex predator have thicker bones uh, bullets can actually just ricochet off of their skull if it's fired at the right angle. Their muscle need- fiber is so thick. You need something with bigger ammo. Yeah, you can't really use a shotgun on them because it will just piss them off. You have to use some sort of high caliber rifle and hope to uh, pierce bone. But there's there's nothing like that here, is what you're saying. <laughs> um, he does have weapons like that. Um, they're f- fairly expensive because they're ordered from like great white hunter kind of catalog type oh. of things, like a an elephant rifle kind of thing. Oh right, okay. Uh, have you encountered a gentleman named Bartholomew Hughes at all? He's a colleague of mine. Uh, yeah, I've heard of the fellow, but I cannot say that I had the pleasure of meeting him. I heard that he came into town and I was planning on going over to the hotel and talking to him because uh, from what I heard, he traveled around a lot and he did, was not carrying a weapon on him. And uh, that just seems kind of silly to me. So I thought I might sell him something like this. And he like pulls out a Derringer and he puts it on the table. And uh, Oh, uh, Maeve. Yes. Um, Poke my head in. Do you want to hold this? Probably won't need it, but I, you know, there's a lot of people carrying. He's uh, pointing to a very small pistol that has two little barrels on it, and each barrel can only load one bullet at a time. It's kind of a hideaway piece meant to tuck into, like, folds of clothes or whatnot, or into a purse. I just sort of, like, blink at him, and I say, if I'm going to kill someone, I'm going to go real close up with it. 
and just sort of back out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a woman after my own dang heart. Is the gunsmith connected to the blacksmith? Are they like, or do I have to like go out and then go around? Or is it? You'd have to go out and around. I mean, they probably do know each other because they probably have worked together multiple times in the past. But Sheriff, do you need any ammo? I think it's best we get something before we leave, just in case. Well, I'm going to go around the corner to the bladesmith, the blacksmith. So before you leave, Sheriff, he uh, he hooks you up with some ammo. And he says to you, you know, this is for keeping the peace. You don't owe me anything. Just remember, if anybody asks, Trevor Allen's the guy to go to. Um, can I go to the to the groundskeepers to ask them my questions? So let's do the keepers first before we go to the blacksmith, because Chris has been waiting patiently. Maeve, you come around the corner and you come to this uh, the groundskeeper area. This work shack contains several of the key pieces that keep New Nazareth running from behind the shadows so they can pick up the horse droppings, fix all of the plot holes, clean all the gardens, etc. In keeping with the shadowy nature of this building and like the groundskeepers themselves, uh, the building is hidden behind a fence with almost no windows in the building itself. And the inside of the building, if you move close enough, is a tangled maze of wood and steel, sharp and blunt. But as you're peering through the window, you do not actually see anyone inside. It looks a bit like a junkyard. There's just all this equipment kind of littered behind this fence and you had to squeeze your way through this fence that was chained shut, but you were able to squeeze your way through and get a look through the window, but it doesn't appear that anyone is actually there. I'm going to just knock on the door and be like, hello, anybody home? Um, you don't hear anything on the inside. Somebody who's walking down the street says to you, oh, they all went home to get some sleep. They won't be back until the nightfall. Oh, thank you so much. And then when that person's far enough away, I'm going to see if I can open the door. So the door is locked and you don't necessarily have any skills in order to get you. Uh, can you roll resourceful for me, which is 40, 12. Two sevens, uh, one, and a four. So you got three successes. I'm just going to roll real quick. So you pull on the door and it's locked, but you notice that the wood around the frame has gotten pretty rotten where the lock is. So if you wanted to get inside, you could yank the door hard enough to bust it open, but somebody will definitely know that you broke in if you do yeah. it right now. I don't, I, don't, I don't want it to be known that I've broken in. Okay. Because um, everything's sort of like sharp and around. There's no other areas to really... And, oh, you said there are no windows, right? There's like one window... But again, uh, you can't open it without like breaking it or making it o- people aware that you would have broken in. And then my last thing, I guess, is do I get any sense of spiritual or spiritual things or magic from the building itself or any of the tools? Uh, no, you do not. You okay. don't even have to roll that. Okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to skedaddle then and I guess I'll come back later. Okay. So we go around the corner to the blacksmith. Charles, you come around to the blacksmith with the sheriff coming up like a minute behind you. A powerful forge stands at the back of this open building that exudes immense heat and the aroma of metal. So it's less of a building, but more of an open-sided shack with a big forge at the back. There are several tables laid out in front of the forge and like anvils and stuff for the blacksmith to work on it. And it's used to fix a lot of machinery and build new items. But it's never, like, super busy. But the blacksmith always does have projects to work on. You get see a lot of, like, broken equipment, and you kind of get the feeling since it's fall, moving into winter, the blacksmith is going to have a lot of work to do, fixing or repairing or replacing broken equipment. And the blacksmith himself is a large, imposing man with muscles spun from many hours of banging a metal hammer against an anvil. So he's a very tall, muscular man. He's African-American with a shaved head. Most of what he's working on is pretty utilitarian, like he's building new plow heads uh, to put on the plows to furrow new paths and stuff like that. But for the most part, nothing like super special. Excuse me. Uh, Yeah, can I help you? I was wondering if you have any experience making and working on weapons. 
Weapons. I mean, I've made like axe heads and stuff like that before, but what did you have in mind? And I pull out my knife, my, my large Korean style dagger. I was hoping to see if this could get sharpened and I hand it to him. Oh, sure. I could sharpen this up for you. Takes it over to a grinder and he starts grinding away on it to uh, uh, sharpen. Do you have any experience building, welding, making traps? He's like uh, using his foot to uh, move the grinding wheel. And you see that he's having a little bit of trouble, like the alien kind of metal and shape that he's working with. It slows him down a little bit as he's sharpening this thing for you. So it's going to take a little bit longer than you're probably used to just sharpening it yourself on like a mm-hmm. whetstone or whatever. Yeah. Traps, I mean, not in as so much. I mean, most people can make traps themselves out of snails and whatnot, but why were you looking to trap something? Something large. How large? Have you ever seen a tiger? (laughs) And his foot, like, stops rocking the grinding stone for just a minute, and then he keeps pressing it, and he's like, no, I cannot say that I have, so... Imagine a large four-legged animal that can stretch to what seems like over ten feet. He uh, finishes sharpening up your blade and he wipes it off to get the uh, excess pieces of steel. And he picks up a piece of paper and he starts to kind of draw out something. And he's basically drawing out what is essentially a spring trap, a giant cage. Once the animal walks inside, it'll snap a door closed. And he's like, well, I could rig up something like this, but it would take me quite a while to build something that large. I'm assuming that we have... A good amount of like money you have probably as much money as you need for like essentials like food housing and stuff like that just on you at any given time the keller house where you can telegram them for more funds if need be you do know that there is a bank in town but you know there's always a process of sending a telegram getting a response having that telegram sent to the local bank and it being verified and all that so i i reckon that would take like a couple of days or something Uh, At least, yeah. Most things are going to be much, much cheaper. You know, like breakfast is going to cost you a couple of cents at most and stuff like that. Staying at an inn for even a month probably won't cost you more than like 10 bucks or whatever. But the trap that you're talking about, it's going to take them a lot of time, a lot of raw material. It would probably cost over $100 to build the thing you're looking for. If you're looking to hunt something, I would... Reckon you should talk to uh, Carter McGrath. He knows quite a bit about hunting than I do. I see. I see. We keep hearing about this Mr. McGrath. Where might we find him? Well, most of the woodcutters haven't had a lot of work to do because tobacco's been backed up, so they haven't had to cut down trees. So they spend most of their days out in the woods hunting, or I believe they went fishing this afternoon. Do you know where... uh local fishing spot is yeah so he points east of you and you do know when you were riding to town that you did pass several rivers but Mm -hmm. there's at least one river in the direction that he's pointing to you thank you very much you're welcome sir nice job on the blade you're welcome it's a most unusual design it is it's uh from my home where are you from sir i believe in english you call my country korea by China. And it's probably a good thing that you said by China. Korea doesn't mean anything to yeah. him. But then once you say by China, he kind of just nods his head. And, and it's not like he's judging you for it. But he's just like, I know that's far. Yeah. So <laughs> all of you kind of meet back up like in front of the gunsmith or whatever after you're investigating all your little things. What time is it right now in terms of the world? It's probably around noon. So you guys make your way back to the inn. Washington Martell and his gang are still sitting outside. It hasn't been that long, so it's not unusual that they're still there. You walk past Washington Martell and his cronies. They don't really look at you much as you walk past and go inside the inn. And you go back into your rooms. So what is it exactly that you're planning on doing? I want to like take out my my vials, specifically with the vines. I want to perform some sort of, you know, getting things out and like putting it in like a, a, maybe like a little mini cauldron or something. Didn't I have like a cart or something with me? Yes, you did have a cart. It's in the stable next door. I'm I'm going in there to do it. What am I talking about? I probably have a workshop in there. (laughs) Okay, Maeve, when you climb into the back of your cart, 
the body that had been there before is no longer there. Oh, well, that's news I should immediately tell the people. Um, before I go tell Charles and, and the sheriff, um, do I see any evidence of, like, anything else that's missing? Or any, like, do I sense anything from it? Did it just get up and walk away? Or what did someone take it? Uh, make an in-tuned plus nature. So seven. <laughs> Ten, nine, four, nine, five, three, nine. So you see in the dirt at the end of the cart, there are boot prints. They appear to have been tried to have been covered up somewhat. Mm-hmm. But it's not that um, the body got up and walked away. Seemingly, it's seeming that somebody took the body out of the cart. Okay. And you rush back inside uh, to tell the others. Also, Paul? Yes. When you go back into your room and you take a look around, you realize that someone has been in your room and appears to have been looking through a couple of things. The party is gone. Oh, that's not good. No. As Paul is walking out of his room. Somebody's been in my room. That's... Also not good. Charles, did, were you able to go into your room yet? Has anything gone from yours? I, I, I'm going to my room. Uh, I'll say that I rolled for Paul because investigation is one of his skills. If you want to just do like a cursory investigation, you yeah. can have Paul do it. Sheriff, could you uh, check this? Could you check this? So you take a look around Charles' room. You can tell that the room has been looked through. Everything was put back where it originally came from, though. Nothing was taken from his room. And if you poke your head into Maeve's room, it's the same thing. Somebody was looking through your guys' rooms. I guess that should have been expected. Where is the hotel maid? So you find her downstairs where she's working at the desk, like taking care of some paperwork to order stuff or whatever. Uh, What exactly do you ask her? Did we have any visitors while we were out? Uh, can I ask this with uh, my insight? Yes. Can you actually roll seven dice for me? Oh. But I'm not going to okay. tell you why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Twelve, eight, eight, nine, eleven, six, ten. She takes a look around and she actually looks past you out the door across the street towards the barber and without saying it you can tell almost immediately that she's referring to (laughs) washington martell and she says i i I wasn't supposed to say anything you don't need to i understand thank you yeah let's go should should we go confront do we need the body back not necessarily. You guys got all the information that you kind of needed from it. I, I think we just let them have it. And that's the only thing that was taken from, or at least of what we know. Um, you actually do know for a fact that that was the only thing taken. They cool. looked through everything, but the body was the only thing that was taken. I mean, hopefully I can only assume that he's looking out for his people and that this family would really like their daughter's body back. I understand I'm going to go back into my little cart and start these, trying to see if anything's on here. If maybe one of you wants to stand outside it just in case. Yeah, I, uh, Sheriff, would you mind doing that? I'm going to go back to my room and do something. Just both of you stay safe. I'll wash the door. No problem. So we'll start with Krista. Krista, you're going to be rolling alchemy plus practiced. Yeah. So eight. D12. Okay. 12, 7, 10, 1. 8, 9, 5, 12. Okay. Let me roll some dice here real quick. So you start taking all these plants and cuttings and whatnot and the get water that you've gathered and you're kind of testing them i'm assuming to kind of check like the purity of them what is affecting their growth kind of you take the uh vine cutting that you took and you kind of 
cut it up and then you put it in this distilled water that you have and then you like squeeze it through a cheesecloth and when you squeeze it the water should come out the same color more or less is kind of what you're looking for instead the water as you squeeze the cheesecloth it comes out this vile dark green color and then you take the rainwater from the puddle that you had kind of observed and you do kind of a similar thing to it. You're passing it through several different mediums to kind of distill it to see if as even if one little droplet moves, if it eventually just becomes clear distilled water color kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Every time you put even a droplet with the distilled water, the water turns this sickly dark green color. If I were to put it onto say I have like a little plant or something like a small potted plant in my thing if I were to put that specifically like that green concentrated goo onto that plant what would the plant do you take the cheesecloth that you kind of grated up with the vine and you squeeze out the kind of concentrated dark sap into it and the plant is some kind of ivy or moss like some plant you know that is receptive to this kind of magical influence slash will show an effect quicker than like a tree would per se you squeeze it into it nothing seems to happen for a minute and then you see the pot that it's in just spiderweb cracks start to run along the outside and the pot terracotta pot that it's sitting in just starts to fall apart and these big roots climb out over the top of the pot and unfurl itself from the soil until at one point one long root kind of squirms its way out of the wagon and the sheriff who's standing nearby can see this long almost earthworm looking root crawl its way searching and then it just kind of curls around the wagon wheel and then it stops and whatever amount of energy or feeding (laughs) it had was used up can i sort of tell if it's if it's something that's magical of the land or was conjured up or created by someone rapid plant growth is a natural phenomenon like magic can make plants grow much quicker and usually that energy does get used up in a short amount of time it's got a very short half-life you might say the energy dissipates really quickly but usually the energy is concentrated in like one area the fact that this vine growth from the center of the cemetery and then the pond water from way out by the house over a mile away both have this kind of energy coursing through it magical pollutant you might say is kind of strange my other question was were the vines sort of just growing or were they growing towards a direction of somewhere like were they they going Growing towards the cemetery? It seemed to be growing towards you and the sheriff. Oh. Interesting. Okay. And uh, Charles, you said you were doing something special up in your room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I basically just wanted to like go back and try and like remember things through the dream, like sort of and like compare to like everything that I've seen in the last day. Just trying to figure out more details off of that dream trance okay. space that I entered. Can you do insight plus scry? That's seven. Eight, nine, six, three, one, seven, and seven. Okay, so you got quite a few. So in order to kind of reach this space that you're looking to find, are you kind of meditating or something to that effect? Yeah, it would be a meditation. Like a gentle swaying. (laughs) Maybe kind of like Tai Chi or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So as you're kind of moving through your room, kind of gently swaying, taking a moment to slow your breathing and kind of feel your own heartbeat and feel your heartbeat connected with the air moving through the rest of the world, you start to climb back into that space of that dream that you saw or that vision that you saw because you're sort of of the mindset. And I'm sure you already felt this, that it was not just a dream. Um, (laughs) Yes. And what you start to see is through the eyes of someone else and you're actually in that moment staring up into the ceiling in the corner seeing that ghostly nun stare down at you 
you're now in the place of the child and you look over and you see yourself, Charles, speaking to the child and saying, I see it too, but you're going to have to run. And then you turn and you start to run down the hallway. And as you run down the hallway, the gas lamps that light the hallway start to flicker and new images start to pass before your eyes. And you start to see into a hospital room and you see a man and a woman and you feel have this feeling inside of your heart that this man and woman that you're staring at are your parents, but the people you're staring at are Caucasian. So it's maybe not your parents, but the child that you're now inhabiting as parents. And you're staring into this hospital room and you see this man and a woman lying on separate beds next to each other, uh, silken sheets hanging from the ceiling to protect them from the rest of the world. And they're violently coughing and hacking. Occasionally they'll sit up in bed and you can see that their skin is flush with some sort of disease and the gas lamp drops out and you lose that image. And then you're brought into a new gas lamp image as you're being guided through a doorway into an orphanage and being led to a room that is filled with like 50 or 60 children all crying and sadly sobbing but never quiet enough that the nuns that surround them will be drawn over to order them to stop the gas light goes down your image is brought back again and you're lying on your back in a bed staring up at the ceiling in this orphanage and as you lie there the child gets up and it moves you around and you start looking out the window across the landscape around the curve of the building from the corner another window open and you see a young nun probably 20 25 years old she steps out onto the balcony and the child raises their hands and starts bashing against the glass and then the nun leaps from the window and drops down several stories onto cobblestone below the last gas lamp goes out and you're rocketed forward several years and you're riding on the back of a wagon heading into new nazareth into the plantation community this was at least several years prior to when you charles have been here because certain buildings are not there or certain buildings look different the town's a little rougher and the uh, wagon rides up to the front of the inn the images finally fade away and you're back in your own body standing in the hotel room oh this girl um i sort of shake it off and sort of freshen up a little and then head back outside to go look for maven and the sheriff all right you come around to the corner to mave and the sheriff as they are standing by the wagon can i see like the vine and all the like by the way uh, sheriff colmer all this that they've been doing has been taking a couple of hours at least have i fallen asleep <laughs> uh you probably did uh, have a little bit of a nap because you were up late last night and then you guys woke up early this morning okay uh it seems like you've been busy uh, Maeve? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, it seems like whatever this thing is, seems organic to me. It doesn't seem like it was maybe conjured or made, but definitely I get the sense that it, it's feeding off of, off of humans. Right. So, I didn't tell you this, but uh, I wanted to be sure, but I was struck with a bit of a vision, uh, a dream. Uh, and I turned, to, I turned to the sheriff. I was like, uh, sometimes I have the ability to see through the eyes of others. <laughs> and he was, just sort of turned back to Maeve. There's a young girl who was brought to New Nazareth, who I believe is connected to all of this. She must have been a girl who came years before everything was established everything was was set the way it is now she's witnessed some things uh, I, the only way i can describe it is as a d demonic nun that uh, she sees the first time i was able to scry into this memory i was able to see it it seems tied to when she was younger she witnessed uh, a nun committing suicide at her orphanage. I know that's a lot, but all I know is that she was brought to New Nazareth and that these images, these memories are being 
transmitted to me. Does she seem as if she's still in this world? Or shall we have to contact her otherwise? I'm unsure, but my guess is that they're tied to her or some echo of her. Y'all realize this is really freaking weird, right? (laughs) (laughs) We deal Uh, with it on a daily basis. Sure, we are quite aware. Uh, Thank you for your understanding so far. What happened with this? And I sort of point poke at the vine medley. (laughs) I sort of got it down to its essence and then added it to one of my plants and it grew rapidly like we see in the cemetery. But then it also specifically was almost aiming for me and the sheriff. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't exactly know why it was present also in the ditch water. So I'd like to look into that more. But I have a feeling that we're going to have to talk to Carter McGrath. That does seem to be the name that keeps coming up. Yeah. It seems as though this man is rather dangerous as well. So maybe we be prepared. I think that's a good idea. So it's uh, mid-afternoon, about 2, 3 o'clock, as you guys start walking east out of town towards the river. It was uh, pointed out to you. And you can see this fast-moving river moving along the tobacco fields. But as it comes around a big, steep curve in the landscape, the water comes to a much slower passage, kind of this deep hollow where a lot of fi- big fish would be. And you can see several men, most of them are like shirtless, uh, gruff looking men with uh, big beards or like scraggly hair kind of pulled back. And they have their cane poles out and they've tossed out lines into the water. And as you approach, you can actually see they are pulling a fish out of the water, a very large fish that is struggling with them. They have to wade thigh deep into the water to start pulling it in by hand, like hooking their hands up into the gills. And they start pulling out this fish out of the water that to uh, Charles and Maeve might look a little, actually to Maeve, it might not look too alien, but to Charles, it would look pretty alien to the sheriff and Maeve. It probably looks fairly normal, but it's a fish about six feet long with a long snout on it. And it's got this real primordial shape of just muscle built like a bullet. It's snapping its mouth not making a sound you can just hear the bone and clacking together and each time it opens its mouth you can see rows of hundreds of teeth lining the top and bottom of its long mouth and the bony plate on top of its head you can actually see there are several plates with like flesh in between so it can actually expand the top portion of its mouth to swallow bigger food down along its body you can see that it's covered in these enamel scales like armor plating to the sheriff and Maeve, you recognize this as a southern fish called the alligator gar and you know that they can grow upwards of six feet and weigh more than 300 pounds. You have probably both heard stories about alligator gar attacking people. You probably have never actually met anyone that that's happened to. It's always from a friend of a friend. I heard that this alligator gar dragged someone under or bit a child or something to that effect, but they drag this massive fish and all these men are very big and tough but it's struggling against this fish that's shaking its head back and forth trying to snap on something and it'll like occasionally catch an arm and open it up and drips dribble some blood or even the guys holding onto the body the enamel scales like rubbed the wrong way and actually cut open their flesh dribbling <laughs> blood up the muddy shore and I'm, I'm just like looking around like what is that monster This is a strange land. One of the biggest and strongest of the guys. He's like 5'10", very muscular, got like six packs abs, but he also just looks big and angry and he's got a big beard. Um, He picks up a club and he just smashes the alligator over the head. You can actually see the enamel bone plated head smash in and crush its brain. That's the way to do it. <laughs> and uh they've actually they're actually kind of ignoring you as they're like dealing with their catches. Like some of them have like little catfish or whatever. The alligator gar is definitely the biggest thing they pull out of the water today. The leader of them, he's actually speaking in French. 
to some of the other individuals. Probably none of you speak French. And you also notice that he occasionally throws in English words every once in a while. And you get the impression that maybe he's not French, but he might be from somewhere in Louisiana. They start to open up the fish and they have to like jam their knives up underneath the um, speckled green and silver enamel scales to like start cleaning the fish. I'm just going to like, not loudly, but like just asking. All right. So this is a common creature. Yeah. It's called an alligator gar. And uh, they can be very dangerous. Gar. Is it food? Can be. Or you can be food. Depending on who wins that day. (laughs) And uh, finally, their leader, who you kind of assume now to be Carter McGrath, he finally takes a moment to uh, look up at all of you and he rubs his forearm across his face, trying to like uh, wipe the blood off of his forearm. And it just kind of smears across his thick beard. So he looks up at you and he says, now, how can I help y'all? We had some uh, questions to ask you about uh, a missing girl. And uh, Carter McGrath kind of stares at you for a second. He walks back down the muddy shore and he takes this dark brown water to smear the blood out of his beard and smear the blood off of his arms. As he's like kneeling over the water, he looks up at you and he says, well, chef, I might be able to help you out with that. And that's where we'll leave off this episode of Dice Try. (laughs) Paul Dixon, do you have anything you would like to plug or promote? Just uh, follow me on socials, you know, Paul Allen Dixon, one L, right? Yeah. And uh, other than that, um, be safe. Try not to uh, be around people without a mask, please, for the love of God. Register to vote. Vote, vote, vote. Uh, Krista Llewellyn, what do you got? I am streaming on Twitch all through the month of October, uh, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and then Sundays at 6 p.m. I am streaming Halloween looks. Um, So you can catch me all through the month of October doing that. And I'll still be streaming after October, but probably not as frequently. You can follow me there at Krista Llewellyn MUA which is also my Instagram handle. So you can follow me there for the final looks. And then I have a Etsy shop where you can buy masks and other sort of makeup artist accoutrement. That's Shop Rogue Etsy um, on Instagram, or you can just search Shop Rogue on Etsy itself. And yeah, definitely wear a mask, vote, register to vote. I think the registration date might be like on the line for California at this point, but register to vote and vote, 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 vote. Uh, GTM, what would you like to plug and or promote? God, um, I am also streaming on Twitch, Photo Mode Adventures um, through various games. Uh, I just started doing a Twitch stream of The Last of Us photo mode for Halloween. You can watch that up until the end of October, every Wednesday and Saturday. Times adjust on depending on things, but usually at night and I update on all my socials at Japarican one on Instagram and Twitter. Earl Kim. You got something um, exciting to announce, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so today is Ghost of Tsushima Legends Day. Uh, the expansion for Ghost of Tsushima just came out. Uh, so it's multiplayer. You've got two-player story-driven uh, multiplayer quests. Then you have a four-person multiplayer sort of adventure series. There's all sorts of upgrades and updates to the systems and to customizable things. And there's finally a new game plus. So for those of you people who've been crying for it, Sucker Punch has heard your prayers. Yeah, and it's all free. Everything's so wonderfully, like if you, I mean, if you bought the game, then all of these updates come automatically and there are no microtransactions. Uh, happy Ghost of Tsushima Legends Day that just came out. Also, uh, I'm twi- I'm streaming all day today when this comes out and into tomorrow. Uh, Daisuke and I will be streaming uh, Ghost of Tsushima Legends. So check us out. Uh, for me, it's Earl of Samich at Twitch. Uh, S-A-M-M-I-T-C-H, Samich. Yeah, check me out on Twitter, Earl of Samich. Uh, no T. Perfect. Daniel. What? What about what you? you got a plug? 
Oh, well, thank you for asking. All my stuff seems so insignificant to y'all. Um, just follow me at Hemingway Light on Instagram and Twitter. Hit me up with uh, what you like about the story. Send me some fan art. I want to see your drawings of what Charles or Maeve or the sheriff look like. Yeah, we want to see fan art. We want uh, people we can promote. So yes. we can have money. Sponsorships. Sponsors. Sponsorships. On October 31st, Halloween, we're going to be coming out with a special episode of the podcast in which we will not be playing the story. We'll be doing a one shot of an RPG called Fiasco, which is you get to play out kind of your favorite movies or scenarios similar to movies. And for that particular episode, we did one that's very similar to Friday the 13th. Oh, and yeah. I am currently editing it right now. Well, I thank you all for being with here, here today, and I thank you all for listening. We'll hear from you soon. Please send the fan art. Who's the daddy character in this story? Daddy. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's the uh, Mr. Martell, right? Like, like I, I also want to see like a fan art of Tommaso Ciampa as Carter McGrath, the uh, Creole uh, Dorsey Woodsman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Dice Try. I'm your host, Daniel Schaub, and this episode's cast has included Paul Dixon, Earl Kim, and Crystal Llewellyn. This production has been edited by Gabriel Toya Melendez with special music provided by Glenn Davis. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dice Try Podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe and review. Just make sure everyone's mic is connected setting-wise. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, syphilis. Syphilis. <laughs> A dog has syphilis. Gonorrhea. A right. cat has contracted gonorrhea. What are your pets doing? <laughs> oh, recording, right? Yeah. Yes, I- we are.